blessing. Um, this week we start in our home groups. We've been going through these little books. We start the Kingdom Mercy one, the third one of these, moving through these quickly for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll move into mode for, um, for Easter. And then as we come back from Easter, we have um, a few more things that we're going to do uh, concerning the, the, the vineyard, uh, the vineyard's connection. We've been preaching about the kingdom of heaven and uh, of, of bringing, of, of trying to bring Jesus' approach. This, this was his primary approach to what he was doing. This is how he explained it. It's how he modeled it. It's what he said about it. And we've been talking about different aspects of the kingdom of heaven. It, it's kind of endless. And I don't know, maybe you're, you feel that way about the sermons. But um, what Jesus seemed to have no end of the, um, of the information that he, that he wanted to give, what he needed to transmit and communicate to his disciples and to those that were watching to those who were religious and trying to figure out who he was, there was this constant conversation of the kingdom of heaven. Um, so you've got notes. Oh, you're, they're on the back of your bullet. It looks like a lot, but hopefully we'll move through those all right this morning. I do want to uh, just put a little addendum. Last week I told you about a meeting that was a week ago Saturday called One Cry. I got a, a, an email. I won't read the whole thing to you, just the opening um, paragraph. Because I didn't know at that point how many really had been there, what was going on. It said the One Cry team traveled to Reno, Nevada this past weekend. This came from the One Cry people. It said uh, this past weekend as co-sponsors of the Acts for One Cry for Revival event taking place there. This all-day conference brought together 400 leaders from a diverse grouping of 60 churches and Christian organizations. I didn't know how many different had been there, but, but 60 mostly churches and, and then a few parachurch organizations were represented there as well. That's an amazing, that's an amazing thing. That's, to me, it still blows my mind that that event even happened. And uh, I talked with, um, with Brent Brooks from Reno Christian Fellowship, who was key in making this happen, was really central. And, it, and he's stepping up for the next level. The next question is, all right, so now what do we do with this? How do we, how, how do we get involved and stay involved without trying to take control of what God is doing? My greatest fear is that, that we think somehow we can take control of revival. Revival is one of those things God has to breathe on us. I already know there's some ground root uh, uh, gatherings. There's a desire within this group to start praying, to put together an official prayer group that will be praying for us as in our role in all of this as well as praying for revival, praying for all of the churches. And so... Um, uh, she hasn't volunteered yet, but I read her email. Uh, Shauna uh, got sent on to me, and so we'll just make her the point person right here. And, but, but if you are interested, if you are interested in really being a part of what God seems to be breathing over our city right now, and it is in your heart to not see it get arrested anywhere or in any one church or at, at any one level, but that God will continue to grow, that it will continue to expand, that it will any time that there's a crack 
even a small crack in the door of any church that God will get in. With the doors thrown wide open, I've never seen anything quite like what's happening in Reno right now. And so uh, we'll, we'll organize, and if you want to be a, prayer, a, a part of that, we'll let you know soon what that is going to look like so you can participate in prayer. All right, let's go to our notes. We start this book's called Kingdom Mercy, which is what I called my, my sermon, though you're going to wonder where the mercy's at in a few minutes. But let's, uh, let's talk just a minute about parables um, because Jesus very much often, very often illustrated, made his illustrations in the forms of parables. Uh, um, we have gotten familiar with them. There, there are s- stories that Jesus told that were meant to help people see what Jesus saw. All right? They were stories that were meant to explain to people what Jesus was doing. They were meant to explain what the kingdom really looked like now that the king was in place. But they were always, there was always a little bit of mystery in them. The listener had to become involved in searching out the meaning because the purpose wasn't always obvious. All right? Why do you suppose Jesus did that? I have a, I'm involved in a a program. It's a new, new program in the vineyard. And fortunately, the Northwest that we are connected with was sort of the pioneer group for this. So I signed up and I, I have a coach. I, I talk monthly to a coach and he's really very good. And um, I'm actually looking very forward to meeting him because I've only talked to him on the phone and I don't even really know what he looks like. And his, his style of coaching is he just asks a lot of questions. He, he doesn't tell me what to think. It, it's like it's your church, dude. But he, he asks me questions. He asks me about how I feel about this, what I, what I see, what's happening here. And, and in those questions, as I'm answering the questions, clarity starts coming to me. It's a great questioning. You notice Jesus used it. The parables were kind of that same thing. It was to throw something out there and to create a question that, that if you were interested you would begin to pursue it. You'd begin to think about it. You'd begin to dig at it. You'd begin to poke at it a little bit and try to unpack it and figure it out. And if you weren't interested, how many of you know you eliminated yourself right out of the, right out of the chute? And so Jesus told these stories all the time. They're kind of folksy. You know, they, they, um, they've got riddles in them. They're filled with commonplace images and and scenarios, but then he puts them in new contexts, and he has, he has people sometimes in his stories doing really odd things. They don't look so odd to us, but they were really odd in the context that he was, he was telling the story. And, and so it would, it, it would shock people, and, and they, would, they would either make this judgment right away, well, that's a stupid story, that couldn't happen, or they would say, why did he say that? And in the digging, there would start to become a pursuit of, of of kingdom issues and and we're at one of those we're at a moment in time in this parable we're going to read here in a moment it says this part parable is about who gets included and who is excluded in the kingdom and this is happening this parable is is being given in Jericho 
And Jesus is, is walking. He's, he's on his way. He's been up, up around Galilee, and he's walking down through Jericho, down the Jordan Valley. And at Jericho, the road turns and goes up over the mountain and, and goes down into Jerusalem. He's in Jericho. This is his last journey. He's going. He's headed. He's headed knowing that he's facing judgment and crucifixion. He's told his disciples, but they aren't really getting it. It's not, it's not ringing a bell. So he's coming down through Jericho. On one side of town, he heals blind Bartimaeus. On the other side of town, on, on the south, south end of Jericho, he, he has his encounter with Zacchaeus. How many of you remember Zacchaeus? Was a wee little man? Wee little man was he? Yeah, yeah that's the guy. And, and so he has this encounter, and everybody rejoices with the healing of Bartimaeus. Remember that? They just, the whole town is, man, this has got to be the Messiah. And then he turns around, and, and this man that they hate, who's despised, who's in, in, in bed with the Romans, he, he says, today I'm going home, and I'm going to, I, I'm going to eat at your house. He refused any other, anything else as he went through Jericho, but he goes home with this sinner. And then he, he just gets through saying to him, today salvation has come to your house because he also, talking about Zacchaeus, he also is a son of Abraham. Now the Jews in that city did not see him as a son of Abraham. They, they, saw, him as, they saw him as a Judas Iscariot. They, they saw him as someone disloyal to the cause who, who needed to be excluded and to be pushed out. Jesus draws him right in and, and not only says salvation has come on him, but he is a son, uh, he's a son of Abraham. And then he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Does everybody get this picture of Jesus, the King? what he's just said. All right, now we want to read, let's read this. It's lengthy. The parable of the meanest. I think we have a mina in church, don't we, this morning? thought I saw her. Yeah. Different mina, but it's nice to have you uh, for the illustration. Now they heard these things. They've just heard what Jesus said. He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. What was their expectation in this? They saw the blind man healed. Didn't know what to think about Jesus because he now included Zacchaeus. But they had this expectation that the Romans were going to be leaving town pretty soon. That the Herodians would be shut down. That all these that had, had oppressed Israel because Israel had long ago ceased to be the, the city on the hill. They were no longer someone that the world could point to and say, this is what a nation looks like whose God is the Lord. That had ceased. And they, they looked and longed for this time of the Messiah. Jesus had been making claims, had been making the sounds of a Messiah, but he kept doing things that confused them because there was so little militancy in his language. He wasn't stirring people to gather their swords and their spears. He kept talking about mercy. He kept talking about forgiveness. He kept healing people. He kept including people they didn't want to include. He did odd things. So, so they thought the kingdom would appear, so he tells this story. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went away to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said, that's money. And he said to them, 
do business till I come. But his citizen, citizens hated him. Now this is a weird little stick on that these people only get mentioned at the end. That, that, and, but, he, but he tells about him anyway. His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And he came, then came the first and said, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. And, to another, uh, and then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, at least that, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. The sense of justice was kicking in. He said, For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Kind of rough language from gentle Jesus, meek and mild, isn't it? This is a tough story. But he's telling it. There's, there's another thing that goes on with parables that oftentimes they can be read at multiple levels. That there's levels of understanding. Jesus was, was an, an economist when it came to his language. He, he made every word count as James, uh, uh, Pastor James is famous for saying he wastes nothing. And, and so he was telling stories. He was telling a story that's good for us, but he was also telling a story for these people who were now a little questionable because of the Zacchaeus experience. They, they, were, they were a little questionable as to whether this guy, was Jesus, was really getting it. He likes people I don't like. He's including people I exclude. And what's up with that? And Jesus puts this on. So at one level in this story, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about those who, who should have known, those that had been given a charge generations before when they had been given the law, they had been given the, the sacrifice, and they had been given the, the true worship of Yahweh when God did reveal himself as, as Yahweh, as the I Am. And he, he offered himself to these people, these nobodies, and he made himself known. When he brought them out of Egypt, he did it with the miraculous. They had a daily miracle. He fed them out of a cloud and he protected them at night with a column of fire. Their, their clothes didn't wear out. The 40 years they were in the wilderness, God made himself manifest. When he went into, when they went into the land and, and went into Jericho, 
How many have been watching the Bible, uh, that the new program that's just started? It's kind of interesting. It's, it's getting a huge following. That's uh, on Sunday nights, and it's on the History Channel, isn't it? If you've got history uh, that started, and it's going through Easter, I think. And um, it, it's done a, pretty, a fairly decent job of, of following, tracking this. It was God interacting with the people because then God wanted those people to interact with the world. And the closest they ever got to that was when David was the king. When David was the king, the world began to notice that something was going on in this little country on the edge of the Mediterranean. That, that God not only was good, but God was present. And, and that he was doing for his people what the gods of other nations could not do and, and, and did not do. And so there was, there was a tension. There, there was, there was a, a communication that went out as, as David's influence, his wealth and power began to move. But they had not seen much since then. And, and this is David, or Jesus is making reference to saying, man, it's been a long time since God has been with you, but here he is again. The king has come back. He's come back for his minas. And there's not much here. But then there was another story that he was telling that becomes our story. That was saying, now the kingdom has come and I'm going away, but I'm going to leave of myself. I'm going to give something of myself into these followers, my servants, my stewards. I'm going to give them something. And he tells them, I like the old, um, the old King James says, occupy till I come. It's a good word, occupy. Um, but it, what it means is invest. Take what I give you because you don't have anything else to invest anyway. There, are you aware of that? Hopefully by now. See, what he gives you was meant to be plowed back into the world. Let's, let's pick up our notes again here. A kingdom that is to come and a kingdom that is here. The master provides assets from his resources for the servant's use. Someone tell me what an asset might look like in the kingdom. Time. Frank stood up here and talked to you about an asset, something that's been developed that they are using, we are using. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a, a tool. But, but it's a tool that is meant not just to be plowed in but, in, but to be invested. Because when we invest it, what do we expect? You expect a return, not only get back what you invested, but more. That's a good investment, right? You get back more than what you put in. If you're getting back less, does everyone understand that's not an investment? That's a giveaway. All right? You are being, you're being called into investment. This is what he's, he's telling you this story. So, so what, what is another asset? What, what is God possibly, maybe something personal that God has put in your life that, that you feel is being pulled out? Money? Money is a huge asset. And, and I, you know, I have a feeling that if God could trust us with it, he'd probably give us more but we don't know how to plow it back in. That's our problem. How we give it back into the kingdom. In order, uh, John Wimber was famous for saying, we give so that he can give, so that we can give, so that he can give, so that we can give, so that he can give. 
You've got to learn how to do that, of putting them back in. You give your tithe to the, to the storehouse. This, this is the storehouse. But I also give my offerings. I give my $20 in order to, take a, a, to, to see a Cuban pastor equipped to better handle a challenging ministry. What other asset? That's an excellent, excellent. Ta your talent. Some that are natural, some that are kind of not so natural. Some are supernatural. The fruits of the Spirit. How does the fruit of the Spirit become an asset? How, how could peace be an asset? Have, it, have you ever, maybe you're that person, but have you ever had been around people who they bring peace with them. They, they come into the building. Someone that you work with, the things just settle down. When my mother passed away, I talked to the principal, and she worked almost up to the end. She was almost 90 years old, but she was at school four days a week. The principal of the little elementary school there came to me and said, your mother made everything different said when she came into the teacher's room or she walked into a classroom, he said everything became peaceful. How, how do you understand that's an asset? You ever worked with somebody who brought agitation and chaos with them? You ever had that person? Maybe, you ever had them as a boss? It's like they thrive. They thrive on chaos. They, they, it, it's like if it's not agitated, somehow I'm not doing my job. Do you understand that is not an asset? What God does in your life, what he plants in you that's uniquely yours, what he plants in us that's uniquely ours, that is for the benefit of the world and for the people around you. Occupy until he comes. It's not for you to be just, I'm at peace. Hallelujah. Feeling pretty good about this Jesus thing. Well, good for you. But what are you going to do with what he's invested in you? If you enjoy it, wouldn't it be something if you became the peacemaker? Because blessed are the... Oh. Blessed are the peacemakers. You get what I'm saying? The, he puts assets in our lives. Uh, it's, he, he gives them, you know. Um, the resources are an investment to make a profit. They're supposed to grow. The assets are an assurance of the master's continued trust, interest, and return. One of the interesting things that was said about the Holy Spirit was that he was a down payment. Is that in the Bible? He was a down payment. Down payment for what? Down payment for everything else God wants to come rushing through your life that has the Holy Spirit as the driver, as the root, as the source, as the direction. Is that right? It starts as this down payment that comes in, in salvation. It's rich. And it's, it's freeing, but, but that's not all to it. See, part of, of what he puts in our lives is just proof. First of all, that he's been there. And second of all, it needs to be proof that he's coming back for it. He's not just coming back for you. Yeah, what I'm saying here? He's not just coming back from you. He's coming back from what he in, for, for what he invested in you. Yeah, it changes things, doesn't it? 
See, the part of the story that's hard in this particular parable is that when the king comes back, there are those that, go, or that can't wait for him to come through the door. That mina he gave me? Do you think there was some bragging among the ten guys, you know? We only hear about three of them. But among the, among the ten stewards who were given something, you imagine a little, little bragging going on? Ten. Ten. Invested, got back ten. The guy with five, he's going, well, I got five, but I'm better, with, I'm better than two. You know? And there's just this, this thing of, why? Because when he comes back, they want to give a, a good report. The purpose that he gave it has been realized. I have more than what you gave me. And I give it back to you. Is that true? See, do you see what it, he's coming back for you, but he's coming back for the you that was invested in. Because in the kingdom of heaven, no matter where you are right now, you can be more than you are. There's an investment in you. The Holy Spirit, the down payment is in you. And, and there's not a one of us in this building who has, has not, uh, who has already discovered everything God wants to use us in and everything he wants to do through us. You have no idea. Okay. The assets are assurance of the master's continued trust, interest, and return. The other people's story. All right, there are some citizens that resist the king's claim over their life. They have no value for the king's presence. Now, this is a really unfortunate piece of the story, but does everyone understand this still remains true? But here's, here's what's going on. These malcontents, not only did they follow, did they follow him, uh, this actually has a little story in history that came out of Israel and when one of the, uh, I'm not going to remember his name right now, but they all knew this story of one of the Herods that when Herod the Great died, he went to Rome in order to become appointed in, in dad's place. And uh, the first time he did it, it was, he was successful, but there's a group of, of, of people from Jerusalem that followed him to complain about this man because they didn't want the Herodians. But he was still blessed, and he came back and became, became another Herod. And, um, and second time around, he had to do it a second time, and he didn't. Uh, he got thrown in jail. <laughs> he didn't do such a good job. They, they had this in their history, and they knew this story. So they kind of, there there's a little reference here that Jesus is making uh, about following and, and complaining. But Jesus was just saying, basically, to them, there are, there are those among you who don't like the story I'm telling. Not only did they follow him, but they also created a hostile environment for the servants to invest the master's assets. So they each were given a mina, each of the ten were given a mina, but, but the environment into which they had to invest, we, Jesus is telling this story to let, it, let us all know that it wasn't always easy for them, that the market wasn't always a bull market. You know? And, and so we get this little piece of information. We, I, I don't know why else he would include it, but to let us know that, that you and I, in, in the place where we go, are not always going to be welcomed with opened arms or understood, but we still bring with us. We can't let the resistance 
change the fact that I still have to invest what God has put in my life. Everybody get that? I can't let the hostile environment, I can't let the naysayers, I can't let anybody uh, say that my king is unfit, that, that I will not be ruled over by your king. Well, they're still, I don't care how they feel, they're still going to be better off if they're ruled by my king. And I have some obligation to try to invest, continue to invest, even when people don't want what I've got. All right? So what's really happening? As it turns out, the king is looking for those he can trust with the kingdom treasure. That's, all, that's what he was really looking for. Who, who is he going to be able to give responsibility? When he comes back and be king, to be king, he's going to need those who can help rule with him. And it turns out that he's, he's among these 10, these must have been his most likely candidates, that among these 10, he's going to find those that he can trust. The trustworthy ones will find increase in their lives. Here's the wonderful thing. Even a little bit of investment will bring increase. Even a little attempt, even a lightweight, uh, a lightweight attempt of, of stepping in, of just speaking to people, you know, of, of being the peacemaker, of giving the $20 for the Cuban pastor, of just anything that makes me step a little bit farther out of my comfort zone, you are plowing seed into the kingdom. That word of kindness, offering forgiveness, praying, like I told you last week, Linda and I praying for that little gal that was, that was waiting on us and the story that came and what we, both of us were getting both of us had picked up about her and just being able to pray. I don't know where that's going, and you know we're going to hopefully go back someday and see her and see how she's doing. But, but, but you understand, that's pretty low risk, really. What happens if you start plowing the bigger seeds in? When, when you do say, for the person that's sick, and you say, let me pray for that, and you take the chance. Is there a chance that, that if I pray for healing that they might not be healed? Sure, it's the world. It's the present evil age, and we have an enemy, and, and we, but we step in. If, does everyone know if you don't pray, they still won't get healed? Does everybody got that? But if you do pray, God might move. God might move them, and, and even if they don't sense anything immediately, if, if, you, if you don't pray, nothing. If you do pray, or if you feel that little nudge, you got a little something for somebody, a word of, a word of kindness or of enlightenment or, or of encouragement, and you go ahead and you do it. Do you understand? You are plowing into the kingdom, the seed. You don't know where that seed's going to go. But even a little seed tends to increase. If you hold it and keep it to yourself, if you hide it in a handkerchief, zip. And thus saith the Lord, thou shalt have zip when I return. <laughs> you got that? Okay, so that's, that's what he's saying. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a tough thing. The untrustworthy, both the servant, the servant who refused to invest and the dissidents find themselves outside the kingdom's blessing. I want to bring people inside the kingdom's blessing. I want to be in the kingdom blessing. And I want you to be in the kingdom blessing. 
But the story behind this is, I'll give it to you, you invest it. I'm looking for those that will serve with me. All I have is the king's and should be at his disposal. Power and identity, that's what I'm looking for in a religion. Dallas Willard, um, if you've never read Dallas Willard, you probably need to. But he talks about how this search for religion, for the search for what he calls the search for spirituality. Has everybody noticed that how that spirituality word is just everywhere now? He's a spiritual person. It's a spiritual experience. And, the, you know, that, that, that word spiritual, and, and it fits all kinds of things. But what he says about this, this is a search for religion, the search for spirituality, is, is what you're trying to do is a way of defining and running your life that's driven by the need for identity, number one, for identity, and number two, by power. I want to have power over my life. I want to have power over things, control over the things that are around me. And so I look for something that helps me do that. I want to be identified with it, and I want, to, I want it to give me some kind of authority or, or some kind of a place. See, in the kingdom, what's different is I have to entrust all of that to the master. It's his kingdom. It's his control. This is what makes Jesus different than everybody else. It's not about me gaining control. It's about him gaining control in my life. This, this need of power and identity, of, of connecting, it all goes back to the king. And that's what he's wanting these people to do. That for that time that he's gone, their whole identities become wrapped up and in, in, in investing what the king has given for them because he said, I'm going to return. And so that's what their life becomes. And, and the truth is they have nothing. They're servants. They have nothing to invest of their own. So they're, they're very keenly aware that what they have was given by the king in the first place. How many of you understand we are in the very same place? That if I have anything that's going to be of any value to anybody, Jesus gave it to me first. If this church has anything to offer this community, it will only be that which God himself has invested in us and then we choose to plow back into this world. If I don't plow it, it doesn't grow. When he comes to require it of me and I say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. This is why we are on this trip of discovery right now talking about the kingdom of heaven because I want you to be those people when I say fully equipped what I'm talking about is moving in the investment that God has made in you and finding those places where maybe you don't even know you are gifted see this is the story it's all the kings power and identity Two, the kingdom of God is an upside down world that ye that yields eternal benefits, but it does it in a million counterintuitive and non-manipulative ways. There's a mouthful. See, this, this world, Jesus made it topsy-turvy. By the time the disciples come along, when we're done reading Mark, you might want to, to start reading the book of Acts again because Luke and Acts are, are intimately joined. They're telling the same story only the kind of the before and after um, story. But, but do you remember what the disciples, when they came into a town and they said, oh, we know who you people are. You're the ones who have turned the world upside down. 
In other words, what you do doesn't make sense. It doesn't operate the world operates, but it gets results. It changes lives. It, it, it brings wholeness. It, it takes what's broken and it fixes them. And we, don't make, we can't make sense out of you people. You turn the world upside down. This kingdom, is, it's topsy-turvy. Jesus used compassion. He used mercy. He used forgiveness and put it in the foundations of this kingdom. It was a day-to-day -day response that we learn from the wooing of the king as he loves us. And we learn to love him back. We respond in love in this kingdom instead of, instead of harshness and power and authority and the top-down kind of, of push and manipulation. Jesus does this bottom roots level up of mercy that he puts in my life. He forgives me of my sins. That's how the whole thing starts. Instead of holding me accountable for my sins and punishing me, he sets me free. That's my initial blast into the kingdom. How weird is that? Whereas as the kingdoms of this world want to make you pay for your stuff. You don't take anything that you don't pay for. And the kingdom of God comes along and says, you can't pay for what I've got to give. Let me invest something that's not going to make a whole lot of sense. And then your world, your world begins to make a difference for other people. Okay. Um, where are we? At the end. So what's really happening here? Is that where I'm at? Three. Oh, okay, two more parables. I, I am at the end. Two more parables. Thank you very much. I just want to read these quickly because I want you to see Jesus talked about this other word. This is in Luke 13. This comes right after he's healed a woman who has been bent over. She's had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, and she has been over having even what that would be like bent over looking at the world like this interestingly enough Jesus calls this woman a daughter of Abraham just like he called Zacchaeus the son of Abraham said this woman who really belongs to the cause who really belongs to the kingdom why shouldn't she be set free even if it is a Sabbath and then he tells this story and he's talking remember he's talking about that little woman just like the other story was talking about Zacchaeus, who now is going to start plowing back into Jericho what he had stolen before. He was going to become a man of the kingdom, an asset. They just didn't get it. So he says this. He said, what is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman that's yeast or some kind of agent, um, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. What's, what's the point of this? You don't need a lot of it. You just need some of it. The investment that you been, begin to make and you have probably been making doesn't have to blow everybody away 
you know what I'm saying sometimes it does sometimes it sets people back on their ear Jesus did it but what he was saying at this point in time was I just made an investment in this little woman's life and now she for the rest of her life is going to invest a miracle she will never stop telling the story of an encounter she had with me of being set free from a spirit that had kept her bound for 18 long years and you with all of your Sabbaths never one time changed her situation and probably didn't even notice her but now I take this little woman and for the rest of her life she will be yeast and she will be planting seeds because she will say I met him his name is Jesus and he changed everything you think Zacchaeus ever shut up he probably became more irritating than he was before I never never stopped telling the story I was in a tree it was like dude I was in the tree and I, I was hidden thought I was really hidden Jesus knew he's like he always knows and he comes along and he, you know he's gonna tell the story for the rest of his life he's gonna say it was Jesus it was Jesus you want to know what I was like and what I'm like now let me tell you about the investment he made in my life one day when he came home to have dinner with me and I'll never be the same you understand that you know the best story that's on the face of the earth right now you know the story of how Jesus got into your life and you know who he is what has God invested in you? Let me tell you just, and we'll close. He's coming back for you, but he's coming back for what he invested in you. Got that? And there will be something to show. There will be those who said, I don't want to have anything to do with this kingdom. I, I've, they've written him off. They don't see the value. We have, we have some responsibility to try to talk and minister to them as well. But I think that there is a world full of people right now that are looking for Jesus. They just don't recognize him the way we've been presenting him. They need to see him in the incarnational mode again in your life and in my life the supernatural Jesus who makes things different and he's in you and he's in me what's he look like he looks like a mustard seed a small seed that I plant but as the as it's in now in the right environment it begins to do what a seed is supposed to do it germinates and begins to grow what's he like He's like a little bit of yeast that you mix into the, into the, the dough and it begins to, to do its thing. It begins to ferment and it begins to blow that loaf up and it, it, begins, it begins to change it in, its, in its shape and it becomes something that appears larger than, than what it was when it began. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And so the investment that you make is that investment. Don't ever doubt and, and think that somehow what I'm doing doesn't make a difference. We can have our worship team come back at this point. You know what? As, as time goes on, Easter's a really good time to plow a little in. We'll have some cards provided for you like we did before Christmas.
so you can have them and you can invest them. You can, you can ask, invite people to come to church and with a, with a, uh, it'll have our time on it and, and um, uh, a map and, and so forth. A friend or anybody you meet, you invite them to Easter. People are open. I don't know why, but they're open at Easter. At Christmas and at Easter and we might as well plow a little seed. Some of you are going to be asked to plow some big seeds. You're going to be asked, be pulled out of your comfort zone. In fact, all of us sooner or later ought to be and better be pulled out of our comfort zones. Pulled into places where the challenges are bigger than we are. That way we know the investment's him and not me. But God's calling us all. He's calling us out of our places of complacency and, and, and sometimes just, I'm just ignorant. I don't know. You know, but God's teaching me and he's pulling me forward. Let's stand. We'll probably come back to some of the parables after Easter, maybe even this next Sunday. We're wrestling a little bit, but as we go into the kingdom mercy, say, so where's the mercy in this? Does everyone understand this entire parable is about how good the king is? He gives me my mina. He gives it to me to invest. He gives it because the investment begins to bear profit. And the profit is always in the form of people. Always people. And so he, call, he calls us all in. You are the servants he's talking to this morning. Everyone in here. So we worship and then we close this down. This is... God's call, your time to do some business with him and, and settle accounts with what's happened so far and what you wish to have happen in the future. Before we close, I want the band to just keep playing here for a moment. But I want us to do this, uh, just a little bit of an exercise. I want us to just stand quietly before him for a moment. If it helps to close your eyes, do that. But let's just ask a simple question. Lord, what do you want me to invest this week? What mina do you want me to put in place this week? What seed would you like me to plant? What yeast do you want me to mix? And just let the Lord give you one thing. Some of you might already know what it, what it is. You already know that there's a place where you need to be attentive this week. There's somebody, there's a person already on your mind, maybe a, a, an unbeliever, maybe a believer. But you've got something of the kingdom of God about you and you're going to have a, a chance to give it away. Where do you want me to give it, Lord? Let's just stand for a moment. I'm going to be quiet and let them play. And then I'm just going to pray for you. If you need further prayer and ministry, just come to the front. If it's physical, whatever. We've just had God doing some extraordinary things around lately. You might want to get in on it. If you need prayer, get it. Let's just stand before him and say, God, what is it that you want from me this week? Where shall I invest? In whom shall I invest? What? shall I invest this week?
Thank you, Father. Continue to speak to us, Lord, because we aren't finished hearing. We've got to hear from you. Lord, help us to be bold with a kingdom graciousness to plant a seed this week. Father, to water a seed, maybe even harvest some profit. But let us be around our, about our Father's business today. Thank you, Father, for what you've given me. I thank you that I have something to invest, that I was not overlooked, Lord, and you gave me my mina. Now, Father, help me to look around because I would really love nothing more than to have my one turn into ten. Lord, I thank you that the tendency of the kingdom of heaven, once it gets planted, is to grow. It becomes the tree mightier than all the herbs, Lord. It becomes the loaf of bread. If I would invest it, Lord, it will grow. And so, Father, give me a place to invest that this week, Lord, we see the kingdom grow. Bless your people, Lord. Lead me where I need to be led. Let me be generous in what I give. Let me be faithful, Lord, in the delivery. But Lord, let me make my investment this week. I bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for being so good to us. Bless these, your people, Father. Bless their homes, their jobs, their children, their friends, their spouses. Bless them, Father, with that sense of your wholeness, the sense of your grace. And we just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.